Y'all good? It's good to see you all. You're like, uh, don't, don't check out now, right? The day is still going. The Lord is still here. He doesn't leave when the music stops, right? Actually, he never leaves. He never leaves. You know, uh, during worship, I, I got a, a prophetic um, word, and so I want you to close your eyes because uh, I just, just to respect your privacy if you want it. You don't have to. This is a safe place. But if you want your privacy, I want you to have it. I felt like there are, there are at least one, maybe up to ten people here that you feel powerless, you feel like you've been forgotten, and you're afraid. You live your life fearful. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand right where you're at. One. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. You're the most powerful guy I feel in this room. You know that? I feel you when you walk in a room. You're powerful. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. I don't know if there's fear in your heart. I don't, I just, you were the, the first person I thought. Very, yeah, we feel it when you come in, but I feel like maybe there's a fear that's in you, and the Lord wants you to not have any fear. He wants to release you from fear. Will you feel this perfect love today? And so, Father, we just right now, I want to pray for these that raise their hand. Jesus, let me say this. Everyone listen to this. If Jesus came into the room today, he would forego all the stuff we just did, and he would be sitting with you that feel powerless. He would skip past the Pharisees, which would be me, the teachers of the law. He would skip past all of the, the Levites that lead the worship. He would skip past all of that, and he would be with you, the one who feels powerless, the one who feels alone, the one who feels like this isn't for me, the one who feels like I've been forgotten, I'm fearful, I'm left behind. He would be with you today. You're the reason that Jesus came. You. It's the truth. And we, we, we revolve church around all the other stuff. And sometimes people come in and they feel left out and they leave feeling left out. And I don't want you to feel that today because that's not what Jesus came for. You are the one he came for. So, Father, first of all, thank you for sending Jesus and that he had the same heart you had to seek and save those who are lost, to seek and pursue the one, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. You are the one who pursues us, relentlessly pursues us. For those that feel powerless and left out today, I ask that your perfect love will come and drive out all fear in Jesus' name. I declare you are not forgotten. You are not powerless. You are, not, uh, you are worthy to be loved by the Lord today. In Jesus' name. I say amen to that. Amen. <clears throat> Don't forget that. Th- that. That word in the middle of worship made me think we've got to shift some things going forward in how we do church. I love the worship and I love all that stuff, but we can't leave the one or two that feel left out. We've got to figure out a way to, to help people feel connected because Jesus was the most inclusive person on the planet. Did you know that? Like everywhere Jesus went, he included, he never looked for ways to exclude people, ever. It wasn't the cool club that hung out with Jesus. It was the, it was the, the left out, the cast outs, right? <laughs> I recently heard a teaching, and I, I didn't want to even ever mention this until I actually preached the whole thing. But we got the whole story of the woman at the well wrong. Now, what do you think of when you think about the woman at the well? What kind of person was she? What was that? She was a sinner. What else? Kyle said in a nice way, she was a hussy. 
right? She was an illegitimate woman. That's the way we've always seen this. But in Bible times, women were not allowed to divorce their husbands. So the fact that she was divorced five times and living with a man that didn't think she was worthy to be married was zero, had zero to do with her. The men divorced her. So she wasn't an illegitimate woman because of who she was. She was illegitimate because her husband said she did not deserve love. So she was a complete cast out of society. Hello? So when this story was not about Jesus bringing an adulterous woman into the kingdom, it was about Jesus seeking and save a woman who felt zero love from the world, and it was him bringing her into his family. Oh, come on. This is who Jesus is. He's inclusive. The second part of this that I heard that's really cool. How many remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish? How many remember that? And it says clearly, 5,000 men. And then how many know that it also says, and there were some women and children? Like a little tagline. And we always thought, man, the disciples were whispering that part. Like when they wrote the Bible, there were 5,000 men. Oh, and there were some women and children there. But in Bible times, the fact is women and children weren't allowed out of the house to hear teaching from anybody. As a matter of fact, the Greeks, the, the scholar, the, the Jewish scholar of that day said he would rather burn the law and the prophets than to read it to a woman. Hello? <laughs> the leading Jewish scholar at the time said he would rather burn it than read it to a woman. Yet when Jesus fed the 5,000, there were 5,000 men and there were women and children there. So the disciples were actually saying, we are breaking through a glass ceiling here and we're showing you that Jesus even allowed women and children to hear the law. He even allowed women and children to hear the teachings that he had. They were present when he was performing miracles. They weren't hidden in some room somewhere else. He included them. That's good. That's Jesus. So don't feel left out. Don't feel left out. All right, Lord, we love you. <laughs> we thank you for today. Thank you for what it means. And I pray that everyone will feel included in this family, the family of God. I pray right now that your anointing would be here, that we would see you for who you are. Hmm. Would you do, do me a favor and put your hand on your heart and just repeat this prayer with me? Father God, I ask you to give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation that I may know you better. Amen. All right. If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 27, we're going to be there, and we'll also be in Romans chapter 5. Is everybody okay? All right. It always just feels weird right after worship into this time. I, I always feel, I don't know if it's just me. I just want to, let's just break. Y'all are good? All right. I'm misreading it. Good. Let's go. We're ready. You ready for the word? Ready for breakthrough today? All right, Matthew 27, and we're also going to be in Romans 5. We'll read some other scriptures as we go through, but I want to start here. Um, there's an author. I, was, I, I like to listen to podcasts. Anyone else listen to podcasts? Anyone in the room? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. We do have a podcast, Fire Life Podcast, if you want to listen to it. It's there as well. But I was listening to Entree Leadership. It's a, it's a Dave Ramsey Entrepreneurship and Leadership Podcast, and they had a guy on there named Sebastian Bailey. He's from, from England. And he has a book called Mind Gym, G-Y-M. 
and he says that most of us, most of our brains are on autopilot all the time. We get in the car, we drive to work, we don't know how we got there. We wash the dishes, we look and there's a pile of them, we blink and they're gone, and we don't know what happened in between, but we got all the dishes washed, right? Whatever it is, the chore, we have these things, and we get on autopilot, and the human brain has the ability to take functions and move them over into patterns and behaviors and habits so that we don't have to exert a lot of energy to get them done. And that's a beautiful thing the mind does, right? But it can also be a, a bad thing because sometimes we get stuck on autopilot so that when we hear information we've heard before, we're on autopilot. I've heard that. I know that. I've been there. And... There's this thing that happened uh, in 1995. There was a study, and they noticed that there was this big disruption that took place in the markets. And they didn't know what it was. They didn't even have a term for it at the time. They just knew that the way the world was working, the way culture worked, and specifically money markets at the time, the way they worked had been flipped on its head, turned upside down. And so there, there was call, they called it disruptive innovation. Nowadays... You hear all the, the great leaders and minds, the Elon Musk, anyone know who he is? These, these great inventors, um, Mark Cuban, uh, all these, Chris Saka, the guy with Twitter and Uber, they like things that are disruptive in the market. Anyone heard that before? You've heard it. They're disruptors. They like to put their money with disruptors. And so they discovered this thing. It's called a disruptive innovation, and it creates a whole new market and a whole new network and eventually disrupts the existing market, and it replaces it. Amen? Have me, have me believe that's true. All right? What does all that have to do with Easter? Jesus was the ultimate disruptor of the market, of the, of the culture. He was the ultimate disruption. As a matter of fact, when Jesus first came, his first teaching... When he finally opened his mouth and began to teach, he basically said to them, You have heard it said, blah, 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 all these things, but I say to you this. How many remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard this. What was he doing? He was clicking them out of autopilot. He was clicking them into a new way of thinking. You've heard this before, but I want to disrupt your thinking right now because if you don't change the way you're thinking, repent. If you don't change the way you're thinking, you're going to miss this new system that's coming into place. And you have to be disrupted from the old to be brought into the new. Amen? So Jesus was the best at disrupting things. He was a disruptor. And so... What better time to talk about disruption than Easter weekend when Jesus ultimately flipped everything on its head. And so there are five disruptions, five things that stood out to me. There are more, but five that I want to bring that stood out to me today. And there are disruptions that happened because of Easter, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You guys okay? You ready? Let's go to Matthew 27 and let's read that. Just read the story just to give us a, a reminder of what happened, right? <clears throat> We're going to start with verse 59. Matthew 27, verse uh, 59. So Jesus has died. And now Joseph of Arimathea, the, the wealthy man who loaned his tomb, was coming and he wrapped the body in, in a clean linen cloth Verse 60, and he laid it in his own tomb, which he had um, hewn out into the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. 
and Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary. How many, how many would love to hang out with Mary Magdalene, and you were the other Mary? <laughs> so jealous. She has more followers than I do. She has more friends, because I'm the other Mary. The other Mary was sitting opposite of the grave. Now, the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that he was, uh, when he was still alive, the deceiver, they're calling Jesus the deceiver, all right? said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. Therefore, we're asking you to give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to his people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. So they're saying that if that happens, then we're really in trouble. We can't let that happen. So they're going to seal the tomb. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go and make it secure as you know how to. And they went away, and they made the grave secure. Along with the guard, they set a stone, and they sealed it. All right, let's go to chapter 28. And we're going to read this whole chapter real quick, and we're going to get into the rest of the word. Matthew 28, let's start with verse 1. Now, the, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, again, the other Mary, came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone, and he sat down on top of it. I love that picture. As his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, the guards shook for fear of him because, and, he, and they became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified, but he is not here for he has risen. What's that next line? Just as he said, like he said he would. Let's remember that. All right. He is not here. He is risen just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, have I not told you this? And they left the tomb quickly with great fear and great joy, and they ran to report it to the disciples. Again, Jesus being inclusive, who's the first people he appears to when he's resurrected? Two women. Ah, it's awesome. It's beautiful. He's inclusive. I love it. And they left the tomb, and behold, verse 9, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid, but go and tell the brethren to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Verse 11, Now while they were on their way, some of, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests what was going on. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came in the night and stole his body. So now they're creating another conspiracy to conceal that Jesus was raised from the dead. Verse 14, and if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble with the conspiracy, right? And they took the money and they did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and even to this day. And then verse 16 through 20, let's finish it up. But the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority, everyone say all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and where? On earth. 
So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Everyone say amen to that. All right, so five disruptions. The first one, God is not angry. Jesus' death showed that God is not angry. Now, I, wanna, I want to dig in some of these thought processes. We've been doing it some on Wednesday nights as well. But it's really important for everyone to know that God is not angry. How many believe that that's true? God's not angry. He's not angry. See, Jesus' death completely satisfied his wrath. Romans chapter 5, you can read it in your own time, but the whole thing talks about the wrath of God being poured out on his son Jesus, which means all the wrath that God had for sin was poured out and Jesus took the punishment for all of it. Did you know that the church has gotten really good at making God seem angry about sin? Well, he is angry about sin, right? No, actually he's not. Because sin was punished once and for all at the cross with Jesus. And you're saying, well, do you, do you, does that mean that we can be once saved, always saved? I believe you can be once saved, always saved. I believe you can if you want to. It's your choice. But I believe that God's grace is so big that we can't even imagine it. What I'm not saying is that you just say a little prayer and you can live however we want to. You can go to heaven. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that there is no longer a need for God to be angry with our sin because he punished it. So does God get mad when I sin? Why don't you answer that question for yourself? His wrath was poured out on Jesus. Do I think that I make a better punishment for my own sin than Jesus? Do I think that I could possibly be better disciplined than Jesus was at the cross and somehow be moved into righteousness if he will spank me hard enough? See, God's not angry. Everyone say that. God is not angry. He's not angry. He's actually really good. (laughs) number two all sin has been punished disruption number one god is not mad that's what jesus came to prove god is not angry number two all sin has been completely punished jesus's blood satisfied the complete appetite of the law did you know that until jesus died on the cross that no sin in the history of time had ever been atoned for. Did you know that? Well, didn't the priests offer sacrifices? Yeah, but that didn't atone for the sin. It just rolled it back a year. It just put it off. It's like, like, oh, I can't make my car payment this month. Just add it to the end. You know, I never had to do that before, right? That's what... The, the, the sacrifices before Jesus, that's what they were. Well, I can't pay for this penalty now. I don't have the funds... I'm not an adequate sacrifice for my sins to be punished right now. So just add it to the end. And all the sin for all mankind had just been rolled over and rolled over and rolled over until Jesus came and he took care of all of it. Everyone say he took care of all of it. 
Did you know he's already paid the punishment for a sin I may commit 10 years from now? He already took the punishment for that sin. Oh, come on. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill Scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop, and they brought it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received it, he said, three words, it is finished. What was he saying? It is punished. The appetite the law has for sin to be punished has been dealt with once and for all today. So let me ask you this question. What sin did God leave unpunished? Let's think about this, all right? What sin did God leave unpunished? We we can say none, but think about what that means. I want to dig. I, I normally don't dig like this on a Sunday. I usually save it for Wednesday, but let's do it on a Sunday. If all sin has been punished, then what is this reaction that I have when I do something I know is wrong and I duck waiting to be hit? What is that? What is that thing inside of us that when we do something we know we shouldn't, we immediately try to hurry and change our behavior on our own? It's called fear. Everyone say fear. We really dove into this this last Wednesday night. But fear is the counterculture to a kingdom culture. It is the counterfeit to a kingdom culture. Because fear has to do with punishment. When I do something wrong and I expect to be punished by God or wounded by God or whatever we want to call it, if I, when I expect that, it is fear that is rising up inside of me and it is driving out God's love in my heart. It's 1 John verse 4, 16 through 19 says, We have come to know... And have believed the love which God has for us, that God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Say that with me. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out all fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. And we love because he first loved us. So, God's not angry. And all sin for every person has been punished already at the cross. That sounds like good news to me. How do we get this wrong? But we do. Because of fear. Fear. A kingdom culture is about freedom. It is. Galatians 5, 1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery or bondage. This whole thing is about freedom. So what happens is religion comes in under the influence of fear, and it tries to to bring a counterfeit culture that looks pure, that looks holy, but inside is full of dead men's bones. You guys okay? I know it's a little bit different Easter message as we go. That's all right. I don't want fear in this house. I don't want fear in my heart. Did you know that fear is the most accepted sin in the church? 
We pat fear on the head. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be fearful. It's all right. I understand why you're afraid. I know why you're fearful. I know why you're worrying. No, fear is the worst enemy to the kingdom culture. Because if perfect love drives out all fear, what does fear do? It drives out love. And fear is connected to punishment. And if I believe that God is angry, and I believe that that all sin wasn't punished, and that I still deserve to be punished, then I will never fully receive the love from God. Because fear lives in my heart. Did you know that you are unpunishable? Whoa. There are, there are, that's a really good question. There are different kinds of fear. Did you know that fear is neutral? The, the word fear in the Bible is a neutral word. It's neither good nor bad. I can have a, if this stove is hot and I've touched a hot stove before and I burned my hand, that is a good fear of a hot stove. That's respect. That's awe and reverence for the fire that touched my hand. But I'm not afraid that 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 stove can follow me anywhere it wants to and touch my life. It can only touch my life if I touch the stove. The fear of the Lord is not a a fear of punishment. It is a respect that he's God. So fear can be good or bad. But when fear is anointed by the evil realm, then I begin to expect punishment from God. So perfect love drives out all fear. I cannot live in fear of being punished by God or by the church or by religion. I can't fear punishment because that fear will drive out love in my heart and it welcomes demonic activity into the culture that's counterfeit to the kingdom. And it looks really pure and holy because it's self-righteous. I didn't plan to get into all this, but that's a good question. We'll just go there. Y'all all right if we just go there? Normally on Wednesday nights we have a, a whiteboard and I can keep track of my thoughts, but y'all just bear with me. God does not want to punish us for our sin because Jesus took our place. That means I can live in relationship with God now without fear of being punished by him. That means when I fall short, I don't fear punishment. His love draws me close. Fear wants to separate us. It was fear that was introduced in the garden that says, oh no, we're naked. We're afraid. Let's run from God. Let's hide from him. Where can we go? What can we do? Let's hide in those bushes over there. He won't find us there. Fear makes us run and it makes us hide. It it causes us to conceal who we really are. And did you know that even in that moment, God did not judge them? He said, who told you you were naked? Who even told you that? Where did you learn these words that you're naked? Well, we had a conversation with the enemy. Remember a couple weeks ago, they were introduced to alternative thinking for the first time in their life. There was a thought pattern that was different from God's for the first time ever. Well, did God really say, well, we never thought about it before because they were thinking with the mind of Christ. But now all of a sudden, because because they had a conversation with the enemy, Fear was introduced in the garden, and we've been running from God ever since. 
and we get saved gloriously and we come into the kingdom and we believe that our sins are washed white as snow and we sing about it and then we, make, we do something really stupid on the way home and we're mad at our wife and we mistreat her and we feel really guilty. We expect to be punished by God and he's not looking to punish us. He wants to bring us close with his love because he's saying you're acting outside of your nature. And the only way that you can act according to your nature is to feel really loved by me. That's what God is saying. The only way you and I can really live according to our nature is to be really good at letting God love us. Are you all okay? There is such a confidence that that comes from love that looks beautiful. You know why the church... And again, I, I said this on Wednesday, but I, you will never hear me talk bad about the church because that's Jesus' bride, and I know better than to talk about another man's wife. <laughs> but the world sees the church sometimes as clumsy, as, as trying too hard, whatever it is, making mistakes, hypocritical, whatever. The world looks at the church that way. And the world is seeing the fear of the church, the response to fear. They're not seeing who the church really is. See, when the church throws up rules and regulations and, and there's this way you've got to be and this way you've got to be and this, and it's, the, it's the fear that's in the church causing this stuff to be seen. But when the church realizes how loved we are of God, the world is not going to see any of that anymore. They're going to see a confident, beautiful bride who walks with her head high and her shoulders back who's without spot, without wrinkle, because Jesus paid for all of her sins. Jesus washed the whitest snow at the cross. And then he didn't just stay in the grave. He resurrected from the grave so that we could be resurrected to life. And when we get that, we're going to look different in the world. Amen? We don't fear punishment. All right, number one, God's not angry. And all sin has been punished and dealt with once and for all, right? Number three, disruption. Jesus came to reconcile us. I'm going to say reconcile. He didn't come to establish a new religion. He came to reconcile us. Now listen to this. The first two things are true for every person on the planet. The worst sinner on the planet right now, Kim Jong-un, North Korea, one of the worst guys on the planet with the worst haircuts, you ever seen his little haircut? Did you know that they make the, the men like get their haircut just like him? Hey, listen to this. He has the, high, the best score ever on, in golf. Did you know that? He shot, according to their media, he shot an 18 on 18 holes of golf, which if you do the math, he made a hole-in-one on every hole. That's how good he is. <laughs> anyway, Kim Jong-un, you think of him. He's a really bad guy, right? He's like got the Napoleon complex to the max. He's the most fearful guy on the planet. That's what, when you see a bully, they're the most afraid person around. And he's the most fearful person. So did you know that all of his sins, and God's not angry with him, and all of his sins have already been punished? He doesn't have access to the benefits of that because that only comes when we're reconciled to God. See, I remember a, a time when Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and he said these words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you under my wings like a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you would not allow me to. See, the first two things are true regardless of whether we say yes to God or not. God's not angry 
and our sin has been punished. But the only way that that even matters is if I allow myself to be reconciled to him as a son or daughter. If I open my heart to him and allow him to know me intimately, into me you see. I'm not hiding behind the bushes, God. I'm not putting on clothes to cover up. I'm not putting makeup of self-righteousness. This is me, God. This is who I am, and I want to be brought close to you. How many want that, right? That is the reconciliation that comes. See, when we choose him, we get connected to all of this. Not only did he reconcile us, again, if you don't come on Wednesday nights, you, you missing, you're missing it because we're diving into cultural things, all right? It's, it's called foundations and counterfeits. And so there's a pattern in the kingdom, and it looks like this. It, it's in us for us, and then it's upon us for other people. Would you say that with me? It's in, in me for me, but then it's on me for others. And so when we come into the kingdom, we receive this drink. Drink deep from the wells of salvation, right? I mean, we've heard that before. We drink deep from the wells of salvation. And what happens once we drink deep and it's for us is it becomes what inside of our belly? A river of living water. Because that's the pattern of the kingdom. First we taste and see. Then we become what other people taste and see. That's what reconciliation does. When I taste and see the Lord is good, then now I'm brought into the family and then I'm given the ministry of reconciliation so that through, through my life, God is making his appeal to others. Is everyone okay? That's why I fear, that's why allowing fear in the church is so dangerous because this is what happens. I become afraid. I become self-righteous. I try to cover up my sin. I try to make myself look better. I try to do all these things because I'm really hard on myself because I'm sin conscious. I'm looking for sin all the time. Well, what did I do wrong here? What did I do wrong there? That's not our job. That's Holy Spirit's job. Did you know it's not okay for us to address behavior in our life unless God brings it up? Whoa. Let me stop. That's called self-righteousness. If I decide, man, I just really don't like this thing about me, and God didn't bring this thing up, it's just me, it is self-righteousness. But when God brings it up, he brings a grace, the empowering presence of God, for me to be changed in that area. But how many have ever tried to fix yourself on your own? There's no grace in that. Man, you can read all the books, you can go to all the conferences, you can hang out with all the married people that have it all going on, and everything can fall apart. It doesn't matter, right? Because unless we apply grace, unless God brings up the topic... It's self-righteousness. So fear in the church becomes self-righteousness, and we look inward, and we're looking for what's wrong. And then what happens? Because he's in us for us, and then he's on us for others. Whoa, we start looking at ourselves. No, what's wrong with you? There's wrong stuff in me. There's got to be something wrong with you. I'm going to watch you for a while. Mm, I don't like the way Rachel said that. (laughs) I'm not sure her motives were pure in cooking all that food for us. You know, people are ridiculous because... Where does that happen? Because we do it to ourselves first, then we do it to others. It's the pattern of the kingdom. And fear apprehends the kingdom pattern in us. It takes, it hijacks it, and now it makes it self-righteousness and then condemnation. And we judge others. And we point fingers. And the root of all of it is fear of punishment. And if we can have the fear of punishment removed from us, which Jesus did at the cross, then we can love 
ourselves rightly and love others right. I feel like I have to convince you a little bit more. He said to love others. How? Like we love ourselves. In us for us, on us for others. So the way that I love myself, I know we don't like to talk about that in the church. It's impossible for me to love others well if I don't like myself. It's just not going to happen. Because you know what? I'm going to treat them as well as I treat myself. If I, personal stories. I would drop my keys and I was like, you idiot, to myself. Just mumble. Self-talk was terrible. I would drop something. I would do something. I would make a mistake. And my self-talk was stupid. Dummy. Guess what happens over time? Someone else drops her. You dummy. Are you so stupid? Why would you? It happens. It's a terrible way to live. But when God comes in and removes the fear and replaces it with love, that perfect love drives out all the fear. And guess what happens? We become sons and daughters who are fully reconciled to the family of God, which is what this is all about. This is all about a family. I loved Friday night. We had 42 people sitting right here taking communion Friday night. It was a beautiful time. It was a beautiful ceremony. We got to remember the Lord and eat together like a family. That's what this is about. It's the family of God. We have been reconciled. Everyone say reconciled. All right, two more real quick. Jesus the disruptor. He took away the sting of death. We sing about it today. Silence the 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 foe and uh, silence the the boast of sin and grave. What was the boast of sin? What is the sting? What is the sting of death? Sin. Why has the sting of death been taken away? Because sin has been punished. Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? Jesus has eaten all of it up at the cross. He has demolished it at the cross. Amen? We read it just a moment ago in Matthew 28, and Jesus said all power and authority has been given to who? To to Jesus. And later he says, I give it to you, which is great. In us for us, on us for others. Even Jesus had that example, right? In us for us, on us for others. Jesus has all power and authority. He said, in heaven and where? Who had authority on earth before Jesus did? He was the prince and power. Satan was the prince and the power of the earth. He ruled the earth. It was his place. But when Jesus went to the cross and when he was crucified and he rose from the dead, he took all power and all authority away from Satan. So if Jesus has all power, who has zero power? Satan. So he completely, Colossians 2 says that he disarmed him with a public spectacle. Colossians 2.15. He publicly shamed the enemy and took away his keys of power and authority. And he has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And then he gave them to us. Amen? Last one. We'll end with this. Disruption number five. So God is not angry. All sin has been punished. We've been reconciled, right? We've been brought into the family. He came to reconcile us. Number four, he's life and he took the sting away from death and has all power and authority. And then number five, God revealed the truth and exposed who the liar was. Everything God said he did, everything, 
I, I was even studying this last couple of weeks on, on things that Jesus said before his death that came true. Hey, Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Boom, rooster crows, and Peter denies him three times. Oh, but don't worry. I prayed for you. You're going to be restored. He restores him, right? I'm going to suffer many things. He suffered many things. Then in, in Matthew 28, 6, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then he rose from the dead, just as he said. It's very important, and I wanted to end with this, because God does not lie to us. Satan is the father of lies. He's been lying from the beginning. Nothing in his mouth is true. So, this is my soapbox for just a second. Stop talking about the devil. Just stop. Stop blaming stuff on him. Stop. Just don't even talk about him. The worst punishment we could put on him is to ignore him. Because he's a control freak, and he's the most fearful thing in the, in the universe. Satan is the most afraid thing in the universe. And he wants people to talk about him so he feels big. So stop talking about him. Don't listen to him. Oh, the, man, the devil was talking to me. The, why are you listening to him? Don't talk to the devil. Don't... D- like on your TV, you can delete channels. Delete his channel from your, from your radio station. Don't listen to him. That's what he wants. He gets in by talking to us. Because when you have a conversation with someone, you're, you're, sharing, you're sharing the experience together. I mean, we can be com- from completely different worlds. And a few weeks ago, uh, Shagun and I, we were at lunch, and I got to hear how everything was in Nigeria, and we were just having these talks, and I felt like because of, ex- because of communication that I gained knowledge and we shared an experience about what the, the world he came from. What? Through conversation. He took me on a journey somewhere. So when the enemy comes in and has conversation with us, he's taking us on a trip somewhere we don't want to go. So stop listening to him. He's irrelevant. Uh, all right. It's okay to say that, well, if you talk bad about him, then he'll do bad things. He doesn't have authority to do bad things to us. He has to ask permission for everything he does. He's like a little kid in school. He can't even go to the bathroom on his own. He has to raise his hand and have permission. Oh, come on, yeah? This, is this just me? Like, I don't, we don't respect the devil at all. I don't respect him. The Bible even says that when we are at judgment... And we see him, I mean, even Pastor said this a few weeks ago, Pops, when we see him, we're going to look and say, is that the guy that caused all the problems? This guy? And we're going to really see him as he really is? Don't be afraid of him. Don't be afraid. He is a liar. Don't talk to him. Do not have conversations with him. Amen? What's more important? Jesus has risen from the dead just as he said. I want you to know that God keeps his promises to you. The whole Easter weekend, the whole resurrection thing is one promise after another completely fulfilled. Hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled by every little thing Jesus did and didn't do during the, during the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. When he didn't answer them, it was fulfilling a promise by his father, a, pro- a prophecy, that he, he would be led like a lamb to the shears and wouldn't mutter a word. Every detail of the crucifixion, every bit of it was God saying, I said it, I will do it. And I want you to remember that today, that he died, he lives, and we live. He keeps his promises. 
You've been going through a hard season, Paul. God keeps his promises. He keeps his word. It's, we don't know time. Time is nothing to God. So, you know, we get bound in time. It's been years that you've been fighting this battle. God's not forgotten you. He keeps his promises. He keeps his word. He can be trusted. How many would say that God can be trusted? And the older I get, the more I realize that God is faithful and I can trust him. I can trust him with every part of me. And, and I, I, I'm learning. What, what, have you, how many of you have noticed the longer you live with the Lord, you, you learn new ways to communicate your love for God, right? New ways to praise him, to honor him. One of the things that's been happening to me over the last few years is I've been telling the Lord, I feel loved by you. I feel really loved by you, God. I didn't used to feel that. I used to feel like I was letting him down all the time. Yet there's been a change, something that's happening in me. And I feel really loved by God. I feel like I'm his favorite. You feel like you're God's favorite? He is infatuated with you. Absolutely loves you. God, we love you today. Thank you for sending Jesus to disrupt the whole culture to shock the whole system, to wake us out of our autopilot and to bring in a whole new existence with you. Hmm. Father, I pray today that you would impact every person here. (laughs) Why don't you stand and we're just going to close out Kind of like this. <laughs> if you're here and you say, man, I feel like God's been angry with me. I want you to raise your hand. Be honest. I feel like God's been angry. He's not mad at you anymore. It's over. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. Everyone say that he's not angry with me. How many here feel like you deserve punishment? Anyone? I feel like I've deserved to be punished. Anyone? You don't deserve to be punished. Jesus was punished for all of us, for all mankind, for all of our sins to be paid for. Is there anyone here that says, man, I feel like I'm outside of the family. I want to be reconciled. Would you raise your hand? Anybody at all? Thank you. Anyone else? Man, I want to turn my heart to the Lord and be part of his family. Just raise your hand. This is family. Nothing's hidden. It's all right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. The best family, the family of God. Amen. Mm-hmm. How many wants to have a, an encounter with the authority and power of God in your life? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. He has all power and authority. Yeah. And how many here needs to be reminded of his promises, that he'll keep his word? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. All right, we're going to pray right where we're at. You know specifically what the Lord's talking with, what you raise your hand for. Let's pray right there, and then just a moment, we're going to bring our salvation, our healing, and our freedom banners right here to the front. If you need freedom from any addiction, from bondage, from wounds, Jesus is here to do that. If you need to be saved, you need to be brought into the family, it's going to be right here in the center. If you need healing, We'll be ha- have the healing banner, so come to the front. But let's, let's address those other issues right now. Father, we love you, and we thank you that you're not angry with us. For anyone in this room that feels like you're angry with them and that they deserve to be punished by you, I ask that you would drive out all that fear 
and replace it with love right now in Jesus' name. Perfect love drives out all fear. Yeah, come on. Why don't you just lift your hands for a moment? We're just going to receive the love of God. (laughs) He said he poured the love of God out in our hearts. We receive your love now, God. feel loved by you, God. (laughs) Yeah. Reconcile us into the family through love. Show us a demonstration of your power and your authority, God. There are people here believing for supernatural things. They need to see your power and your authority in their life. We ask that you would show that right now in Jesus' name. And there are those here that need to be reminded that you keep your promises. You are faithful. Would you say that? God is faithful. Oh, let's say that again. God is faithful. It's his name. You know, we came into a revelation in the last few years of God's faithfulness and that faithful doesn't define a specific one moment. Faithful is a word that's a past, present, and future descriptive word. So he was faithful in the past. How many know God's been faithful in the past? He's faithful, but he's also faithful right now in the present. And he will be faithful in the future. That word faithful is a big word. God, you're faithful. You're faithful, God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. That's what this weekend's about. That's what we do. That's what this is for, all this. Right there. Hmm. Amen? So as Danny's going to come up, and we're going to, the banners will be here after. We're going to do this first, right? And then if you want prayer at the end of service, we're going to be at the stations for salvation healing. If you have not, I'll let him do this. Thank you, sir. Amen.